Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet and uh, around the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning to you, my friends. It is Tuesday, and as always, this uh, day and hour of the program is being brought to you by your friends at Satellite West. Satellite West from Birchwood to Buckland, from uh, Wasilla to Willow, from the Matsu to Menchumina. I don't know if it actually reaches out to Menchumina, but wherever you are in the state of Alaska, Satellite West has got you covered. Whether it's um, texting, uh, whether it's uh, phone calls, whether it's uh, sending emails or just surfing the Internet, Satellite West has got you covered. Uh, and they are proud sponsors of the program here. Uh, You can find a full list of their dealers over at SatelliteWest.com. Just stop by, say hi, tell them thank you, and uh, appreciate them uh, sponsoring the program. Okay, Let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Today is a day. Today is uh, Tuesday, uh, the 4th of April. Uh, that, that means uh, one thing. It is, um, it is uh, uh, election day in Anchorage. Uh, not some 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 not so good news going on right now. They have low do- low voter turnout. Uh, in fact, uh, they have two hundred thirty five thousand five hundred registered voters in Anchorage as of the fifth of March. And the Friday, the election center had received just over twenty eight thousand four hundred ballots. That's seventeen percent less than last year's count on the Friday before election. So the voter turnout so far is, uh, especially since the uh, last five regular city elections, has been uh, pretty low. Which goes back to my point yesterday, uh, by the way. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to start off like right out of the gate with this. Because most of you are like, I don't care what happens in Anchorage. What do you care what happens in Anchorage? I'm saying it's indicative of what we were talking about yesterday. People are just, they're just tired, man. They're just tired of the whole thing, and they're like, I don't even care anymore. And you can see it. You can see it in the voter turnout for this last election where you added ranked choice voting to the mix, and people are like, okay. Uh, And now you see what's happening in this election. Of course, in Anchorage, uh, for those of you who've been following, it's exhausting, man. The give and take, the back and forth, the 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 assembly versus the mayor versus the knockdown drag out and the and all that. But nope, <clears throat> people are like, no, 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 no. 17% less than last year's count on the Friday before election. Now, that could all turn around 
it could all turn around and a bunch of people could vote today and it would all be fine. I mean, you'd have to have an extra 10,000 people vote today. But, I mean, you've got 235,000 people and you've got what? A, what is that? It's a 12% voter turnout. 12% voter turnout to decide the fate of the city. But again, I can tell you that most people are just like, they, they, they're, they're done. They're just like, this is madness, madness. Anyway, interesting stuff. I thought I'd start out with that simply because it made my point for me from yesterday where you can't, you just can't get weary. You can't grow weary in well-doing, man. You can't do it. You've got to, uh, you, 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 you've got to, you got to keep going. Can't grow weary in well-doing. Um, the voters, this is a quote from the story. Candidates across the spectrum say that voters are tired of the political toxicity and want the leaders to, locally elected leaders to focus on solutions. That's who they're looking for. Is it leaders who will focus on solutions? Because they're tired. That, <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out if that's a bug or a feature. Is it working as intended and that's what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to drive everybody over to the edge or what? I don't know. Anyway, that's just the story that I wanted to start off with today simply because it made my point from yesterday. <clears throat> it's my show and I'll do what I want. Um, in today's program, we're going to be talking with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budget. He's going to be joining us here in a few minutes, and we're going to take on the weekly top three. The weekly top three, three big things that Brad believes are important for us to be discussing. Uh, number one is going to be the productive discussion triggered by Ben Carpenter's sales tax bill, which we did get some input on yesterday from uh, Carpenter himself which I thought was an interesting discussion on a full fiscal plan. Also, we're going to talk about the upcoming House floor debate on the budget. It's going to be a huge one. I mean, there's a, still a $400 million deficit, but now they're using some machinations and stuff. There's going to be 80 amendments on the floor. They're expecting the thing to take the entire week this week to be able to go over this and figure all this out. And then finally, uh, his final question is, how should the legislature react to the latest oil search, uh, oil price surge? Uh, hint, it should not be in a full spending uh, frenzy. That, that would be the one right there. That would be that would be the one right there. Just a full spending frenzy should not be on the list. That's definitely it right there. Um, <clears throat> all right, I want to um, uh, before we get into this, so that's Brad Keithley. Ben Chris story is going to come on. We'll do some recap at the top of the next hour of what we talked about with Brad, my thoughts. And then we'll do Chris Story, and then we'll open up the phone lines for you. But in the meanwhile, let me wind it back. This is a story that came out a couple days ago uh, and uh, really struck a chord with me uh, because of my age. I'm less than 10 years. Was that 10 years? 12, what, you can draw it at 62, right? You can draw Social Security at 62, or is it 65? I'm right around 10 years away from being able to draw Social Security. And so this caught my eye. <clears throat> and uh, I just got to say um, that I am 
seriously concerned. Not necessarily because I was counting on it, but that that the elected leaders in this country, like in this state, just fail to recognize the reality of math, arithmetic, basic sums. They refuse to recognize it. And the worse it gets, the louder that they protest that it couldn't possibly happen that way. On Friday, March the 31st, this last Friday, the Board of Trustees of the Social Security Fund released its annual report. And according to the report, Social Security has been paying out more than it takes in in revenue, right? I mean, the, 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 the Social Security, the FICA that it takes in, it has been paying out more than it takes in since 2021. Social Security's total cost is now projected to be higher than its total income in 2023 and all subsequent years, all later years. And according to the report, not just from some no-neck knuckle-dragger, you know, from the Board of Trustees of Social Security, it says at this rate, the reserves become depleted in 2033. One... (laughs) 2030, remember before when it was 2046, it was 2040, then it was 2038. The last I remember, it was 2036. Now it's three years earlier than that. The reserves become depleted in 2033. So what happens when Social Security runs out of money? Well, it's not going to go away. Obviously, there's too many people, you know, vested interest in the program. It's not going to go away. There will still be incoming payroll taxes, the FICA that you're paying right now. But um, that means that even in factoring that current revenue that's coming in, Social Security recipients are going to have to take an enormous cut to their benefit. 25% is what they're saying right now. 25% of the benefit will have to be cut. Um, But here's the bad news about the report from the the trustees of the Social Security. Um, That that 25% cut might be wildly optimistic. In their annual report, the Social Security lists the key assumptions of their projections, and those assumptions... Looked like they could be a lot of rose-colored glasses going on. For example, they assume that inflation in the U.S. will return to the 2 to 3% and basically stay there forever at 2 to 3% when we've been facing it. I mean, they just make that assumption. They also assume that the U.S. fertility rate, which is a critical indication of the number of future workers and taxpayers, will be 2.0 which is an outrageously bad assumption given the fact that the U.S. fertility rate hasn't consistently been above 2.0 since the late 1960s. I mean, they're making bad, they're making bad assumptions about what's going on here. But this is where they're at. This is where they're at. And, of course, right now, politicians are doing nothing, nothing to address this. 
the reality is that this shows that France is going through the same thing right now. I don't know if you've been watching, but France is burning, right? Paris is burning right now with the sanitation workers unions uh, taking to the streets and burning stuff. They got 5,600 metric, metric tons of garbage currently rotting on the sidewalks. And it's all because they're protesting over the fact that the government wanted to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 by 2030. So seven years from now. And these people are throwing a riot. It's the same thing going on right now. We're going to face the same thing here in the U.S. Because really the inevitable outcome is either the retirement age will have to go up. And they're already talking about whether or not they should raise it up to 70 years old before you can draw Social Security. Benefits will be cut substantially, or payroll tax increases will have to happen. Now, Eric Bame over at uh, Reason Magazine dug down into the details on that and said, um, according to the report, Social Security could be kept afloat for the next 75 years by hiking the payroll tax by 4.15% uh, in, tw- uh, in 2034. The payroll tax is currently charged at a 16.5% rate with employers and employees each covering half. That works out to a nearly 25% tax hike. So that's you're going to see, you would see a 20% FICA tax that you would have to split with your employer. Or, which just again lays it off on future generations. Or we could get our fiscal house in order and try and do something about it, which is just not. Nobody seems interested in that. They all look around at you and go, there's not a problem. We're not going to touch Social Security. Don't worry. It'll all be fine. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's what's going on. So if you are counting on Social Security as being your retirement, (laughs) you may want to rethink that. Just uh, pointing that out. You may want to rethink that. Oh, God. All right. Well, the definition of insanity and all that. We'll be back with more. Brad Keithley's coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Back with more after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I mean, you should read this article. I mean, you should read this article uh, from Eric Bame over at Reason because uh, there you go. Um. <clears throat> Like I said, said Bill, I'm going to have to work until noon on the day of my funeral. Yeah, no, I am I got you on that one, baby. I already have a headache with all the good news, says Terry. Um, uh, what? Right? You're forgetting what? Oh, you're forgetting that the government is planning on being full on rainbow worshiping communists before 2033. So Social Security won't be an issue. Right, comrade? Da, da, comrade. No Social Security for you. We'll take care of it. Do not worry. The state will take care of you. All for one. 
right? To each according to his needs. Da, that is what is going to happen. Once I'm dead. Um, all right. So uh, we're getting ready to go in. Let me see what else got. Wait, wait, wait. I know. Print more money. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the options in somewhere in there. 67. Is this 67? Oh, good. I got some time. I got some time before it all runs out and I'm not going to get any anyway. Why did I think it was 62? I must have gone two to two out. I was thinking, okay, that's right. 65 and then it went two years up. So 67. Anyway, they're actually talking about increasing the age of Social Security to 70 years old. <laughs> Wait. Oh, God. All right. Uh, let's... Um, Let's uh, let's go over and see. Let's let's get let's get squared away. Let's just do it to it, shall we? We'll get Brad Keithley on the line. I mean, because we're we're looking for that positive uplift, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're looking we're looking for that positivity. That's what we're looking for here. So we're bringing Brad Keithley on. Hey, buddy. Um, I mean. <laughs> Wait. You're you're in desperate shape if I'm supposed to be the voice of positivity. Yeah, I mean I'm just setting I'm just setting the stage for the beatdown that I'm sure you're about to bring here on the thing. Uh, how goes it? How how are things in your world? Things are things are doing great, Michael. I mean it's I'm I'm still above the ground. I'm still <laughs> looking forward to Social Security. I'm doing great. Yeah, still still <laughs> looking forward to Social Security. I'll take it one day. Um, you could start drawing at 62, but won't receive your full benefits, says Donna. Thank you, Donna, for the clarification there. I don't, you know, as you can tell, I'm not really counting on Social Security. I don't even know all the details of it. All I know is that the, it was a big pot of money that the government just couldn't wait to take some take some cracks at. And now, of course, we have some similarities here in the United in the uh, state of Alaska with that, right, Brad? We do. We do indeed. We do indeed. And there'll be, there'll be a judgment day for there's going to be a judgment day for social security. We're, we're approaching our judgment day faster. We're draining our, uh, our reserves faster. So I, you know, I, I, I said that, you know, earlier uh, in the, maybe it was yesterday or last week, I said, there's a reckoning coming, you know, it's like a, it's like an alcoholic or a drug addict. They, they can't even admit they have a problem. They have to hit absolute rock bottom before they go, Oh, I think I've got a problem. Uh, and I'm thinking here in the state of Alaska, I mean, that's what's going to have to happen. We're literally going to have to crash and burn and be like, we don't have enough money to run the state left. I mean, now we just don't know. What do we do? We'll have to hit rock bottom. You know, Michael, uh, we hit that. We, we, we've hit that. Uh, the only reason we're still afloat is because of PFD cuts. I mean, the only reason we're still afloat is because of, but, of taxing middle and lower income Alaska. Families. But you see my point. When the PFD is gone and their taxes are not enough and they keep spending at the rate that they're spending – that's rock bottom. That's when they're like, we're going to have to have a government shutdown because we don't have enough funds yeah. to fund all this stuff. I mean, that's the only time that any of these people are going to go, oh, there's a problem. Look, uh, I didn't. Did you? There's a problem. Where did that come from? Jesus, been, nope. Nobody saw it coming. I know. Oh my God, it just, it's been just sneaking up. It's like a, it's like a bad slasher movie where the guy's been sneaking up behind you with a knife for like 10 minutes as he walked across the room and you're like oblivious to it, you know? That's exactly where we're at right now. All right. Um, well, you ready to dive into this? Happy, happy mess. I, I am. Basketball's over, so I might as well might as well confront this again. Get back to oh, this. Oh man. All right. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Let's let's do it. Um, I got to push the right button. Now we go. Here we go. 
The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know anything. I mean, I've just been griping about this stuff for 20 years, and nobody pays attention to it, but it's like I'm Nostradamus or something, man. I can prognosticate it. Welcome back to it. It is the Michael Duke Show, uh, Tuesday edition of the show. We are joined right now by Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, who comes in for the weekly top three, uh, which is, of course, the big three items that uh, uh, he thinks we should be paying attention to. Uh, and it's kind of topical because yesterday we had a discussion with Ben Carpenter about a full-on realized fiscal plan, which, of course, included, in part, his uh, his new plan on or his new bill about a sales tax. And that just happens to be the number one on the Brad Keith Lee discussion list for the weekly top three. The productive discussion triggered by Ben Carpenter's sales tax bill, which Ben was quick to point out, is all part of the. In fact, I sent him a text and said, do you want to come on and talk about your sales tax bill? And he said, no. I was like, whoa, I mean, just no. He says, no. He said, um. I want to, but I do have time to talk about the fiscal plan that includes the PFD solution, a spending limit, a CIT reduction, and a sales tax. So you could see which direction he was going here. Brad, take it away. Your thoughts. Well, I think I think Ben has done a tremendous service in, in floating the sales tax out there. Um, it has started the discussion about the need for revenues, not only... Uh, in, in the nooks and crannies of government, but I think it's brought it out into the into the broader the broader package. And I think he did a great defense uh, of it yesterday uh, on the show in discussing why he has he he feels the need to have uh, uh, the sales tax revenues as part of the overall the overall fiscal plan. So I think he, I think he's done a great service in in starting that discussion. It's been interesting to watch the reaction, um, and but I think the reaction is useful also. Uh, the reaction is from the from the right, from uh, those who don't want taxes of any sort, uh, has been. Oh no, we don't we don't want those taxes. We don't want those 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 additional revenues. We just need to cut spending. I think Ben did a very good job. I mean, that's been the reaction. I think Ben did a very good job yesterday explaining why that's not realistic. I mean, as he said, if you send sixty people like him down there, you'd get it done. But that's not what Alaskans have done. That's not what Alaskans are going to do. Um, so it's so I, I think that's been a useful discussion to sort of face the reality that cuts only face the reality for some that cuts only isn't isn't going to be the, the the total solution. It's been really interesting to me to watch um, moderates, so-called moderates. The initial moderate reaction was sales taxes. Oh, they're hugely regressive. Uh, we can't have that. I mean, we need to we need to be doing something else. You can't impose this burden on middle and lower income Alaska families with a regressive sales tax. And then to, that that has provided an opening to go. Uh, you don't like a, if you think re, uh, sales taxes are regressive. What have, you've been voting for PFD cuts, and PFD cuts <laughs> are are far and away more regressive uh, than sales taxes. And it's been really interesting to sort of watch the dawning realization on some uh, uh, moderates that, oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it has been a useful mechanism to help educate uh, that uh, the PFD cuts are regressive and indeed they're, they're the most regressive tool 
uh, fiscal tool out there. And, and I think it has, I, it's not yet, but I think it has the potential to bring some moderates back to a sales tax, complaining all the way that uh, the sales taxes are regressive, but recognizing that sales taxes are much, 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 much less regressive uh, than, uh, than PFD cuts. So if regressivity is what you're concerned about and, 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 and the impact of fiscal tools on middle and lower income Alaska families, if that's, if that's your focus and that's your concern on 80% of, of Alaska families, if that's your concern, then yeah, sales taxes aren't perfect. But but they are much better than PFD cuts. And I think that dawning realization probably has been, well, to me, has been perhaps the most important contribution that Ben's proposal has made. It's gotten it out there. It's gotten the issue out there in a way that I think has made some people realize that, yeah, sales taxes are bad from a regressivity standpoint, but they're better than uh, than PFD cuts. What's I, I mean? I what's hope, what's led I hope you to see that conversation continue? What you I mean? What's led you to believe? Have you seen some comments from some of these people where they're going like, "Oh, well, uh, I I guess uh, PFD cuts are regressive." Have you have you seen that kind of stuff? I, I I've heard I've heard some conversations by some uh, uh, moderate um, so called moderate uh, legislators along those lines and and I we'll, we'll talk about the the PFD vote in on the House floor to, uh, in the second segment but you can see I think some of that showing up in in some of the votes uh, on the on the PFD that they're concerned about the regressive impact of the PFD um, and I think there has been <clears throat> I've heard some conversation behind behind the scenes, but I've heard some conversation that there's a recognition that sales taxes uh, uh, are are less regressive and and aren't all that bad. I mean that the initial knee-jerk reaction was, oh, sales tax is bad. Can't can never support sales taxes because of regressivity. Uh, PFD cuts are far worse. And then sort of silence. Silence on the on the on the from the outside, but behind the right. scenes, I think there's been some discussion about, oh yeah, wait. Uh, yeah, if if sales taxes are better than than PFD cuts, so I, I think that's I think that's a plus. Look, I, I'm not I, as I've talked on the show before. I'm not a big fan of, of sales taxes. I think they're regressive. I think they have a, I think I think there's a better way to do this uh, in terms of a flat tax, so that so that all Alaska families have the same stake in the game. And I and I'm concerned that sales taxes don't trigger the top twenty percent in a way that that we need it. I mean, Ben and I, to, to some degree, Ben and I are saying the same thing. Yesterday, he talked a lot about uh, uh, the need to get the the business lobby group down there pushing back on spending. Well, right. I sort of cut through. I, I sort of cut to the chase and go through the business lobby group and say, who influences, who controls the business lobby group? Right. Um, and and that's the top twenty percent. But to some degree, I mean, it's the same thing. And I and I and I don't and I'm concerned that sales taxes aren't enough. They're they're. They're, they're still skewed enough. They're still regressive enough that they aren't enough to trigger the top 20% pushback that uh, that we need uh, on spending levels. So I'm not. I'm. I, I mean, I'm. I'm not a huge fan of sales taxes, but I do think it's been very useful to get that re, to to see that initial reaction on regressivity uh, about sales taxes, the explosion about oh my god, sales taxes are so regressive, and then see the dawning awareness of oh my god, they're but they're a hell of a lot better than. Than, uh, than PFD cuts. 
I think the third thing that that Ben's that Ben's proposal has done has, is exposed, and, and frankly, this is part of the reason you see the moderate sort of tempering uh, uh, their 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 rhetoric about sales taxes. I think it's exposed the hypocrisy of the progressives, who who you know are still exploding about continue to explode about sales taxes and about how regressive they are and about how, how horrible they are. Um, but, but nevertheless, again, when, when we get to the second segment and talk about the vote on the PFD yesterday on the House floor, still support PFD cuts. I mean, right. g- give me a break. You, you cannot, you cannot, you know, go off on a tangent complaining about how horrible Ben's proposal is, how horrible sales taxes are, how Republican that is, how, you know, how, how, you know, business oriented that is. You, you can't do that and then still vote for PFD cuts. Ben has given you, Ben has put out there as part of the overall package, but Ben has put out there a proposal that is better for, for the one, for the, for the families you purport to, you, the progressives purport to defend is better than, than, than PFD cuts. And you still vote for PFD cuts. I mean, it's just, it, I, I think it's exposed the hypocrisy of those who, who continue going on down that road? So I think I think it's a great discussion. I think he's done. I think he's done a great service. It, it, I think it's a. I think it's an important uh, service that 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 we get this discussion started. I think it helps move the 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 discussion closer to, you know, the realization that we need an overall fiscal plan. I think it helps move progressives toward or moderates toward the toward the center toward uh, getting toward a. A fiscal plan. I think it help, helps moves conservatives toward uh, toward the center and realize, realizing that we need an overall fiscal plan. I mean, it, it's sort of the same thing on the conservative side. We got conservatives go, oh, I'm, I'm, sales taxes are horrible. Taxes are horrible. Well, yeah, but they're better than PFD cuts. I mean, you, let's deal in reality here. Right. When you when you when you replace PFD cuts with sales taxes, you've improved the lives of 80% of Alaska families, of middle and lower income Alaska families. What? And, and yes, I know you want cuts only. Yes, I know there are those out there who are screaming for cuts, but that's not, I mean, as Ben explained yesterday, that's not happening. So for you to continue to go down the road of, of, of cuts only, I'm going to oppose all taxes and leaving us with the only solution being continued PFD cuts, you're as hypocritical, frankly, as the progressives are who continue to say, Sales tax is bad because they're hor- horribly regressive and then continuing to vote for PFD. What do you think of Ben's um, point here of, uh, of basically trying to tie it all together into a fiscal plan? I mean, I think I, I mean, this nobody has done this that I can recall since I started covering politics. Nobody has talked about this full fiscal plan with all these different points. Obviously, this is the fiscal policy working group, but here's Ben behind the scenes trying to organize and orchestrate this whole thing so that all these bills come together at once. Uh, I mean, it's a monumental undertaking, but I think it's what's needed. I think it is too, Michael. And and I I, I took your point in the conversation yesterday about, you know, we're going to prioritize one and push it ahead of the others. That to me, practically, that doesn't work. Because what we want to prioritize, you know, protecting against PFD cuts, constitutionalizing the PFD, and then we'll think about other revenues. That's that's just not going to work with the other side. So I think I think Ben has got it exactly right in pushing all of these things together as part of a package. I mean, that that was one of the takeaways, maybe the key takeaway from the fiscal policy working group 
which that that all of them have to move together politically. All of them have to move together, right? Uh, in in order to achieve the solution. Yes, we like some more than others. We like the the spending cut side. We like the protect the PFD side, the constitutionalizing the PFD. We like the spending cap side. But we got to realize that, as Ben said, if there were sixty of him down there, it'd be a different result. But there aren't. We got to realize that there's that there's others who aren't going to support this package in the way it needs to be supported. You got to get two thirds to get the constitutional amendments done. In the way it needs to be supported, there's going to be others that won't do that without without some assurance on the revenue side. So, uh, give us I, a. I'm sorry. Give us a tease for number two here, real quick, before we have to go. Well, number two is a, a, a sort of a talk about or a discussion about. Uh, the bill that's on the House floor, the, the, the budget bill that's on the House floor, some big votes yesterday, already yesterday. They didn't push them to the end this, this time. They, they put them at the front. Uh, and we're going to talk about those and, uh, and, and the importance of those and what those mean. Uh, going forward. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaska's Four Sustainable Budgets. We'll be back with number two of the weekly top three. We'll return to more right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Bad, bad man. I'm a bad, bad man. How dare I point out that kind of stuff? Uh, I thought it was a very productive conversation yesterday with Ben uh, with Ben Carpenter because uh, it points out. I guess my in highlighting uh, the prioritization of the bills. I mean, I was going back to the fact that he said, you know, we're not going to get it all done at once. I guess my fear is is that they'll look at one component of the plan and they'll look at the least impactful component of a plan and uh, and focus on that and leave everything else to the side. And I guess my point with uh, focusing on the PFD component of it was basically, as I said yesterday, just to take that out of the, you know, it's like we were saying earlier before we came on the air, that, you know, you got to hit rock bottom before you could admit there's a problem. Well, if you take the PFD out of the equation, all of a sudden they're faced with a rude awakening and an utter reality that you just can't manufacture. You're not the federal government. You can't just print money. You're going to have to come up with some other solution. Yeah, but but there's a, but we have to understand this. There's a lack of trust on the other side that that will then that that those that once the PFD is constitutionalized, that that those who you know said they'll they'd follow through on revenues would do that, and that that would expose the fact that there wouldn't be uh, that 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 maybe there would be votes against uh, uh, other revenues. It, it's and so the, and so they won't vote for PFD. They won't vote to constitutionalize the PFD until they have some assurance. Uh, on the revenue side, I, that, that's I mean that's the reality they hit in the in the fiscal policy working group, and that's why they talked about it all needing uh, to move together. I you know I it, it's it's tricky. I, I I will grant you getting it all to the same to the same location to the same spot uh, at the same time. But Ben, I mean Ben was very clear saying I vote for a sales tax only if it's part of the overall. Uh, solution. I won't vote. I would. I would not propose. I would not. I would not advocate for. I would not vote for a sales tax alone. 
uh, if it's not part of the overall solution. So there, there's 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 mistrust on both sides. I mean, we don't trust we don't trust um, if the if the sales tax went first, we wouldn't we wouldn't or if a tax went first, any tax went first, we wouldn't trust that that's going to be used to offset PFDs that that that, that PFD cuts that the PFDs would they would still move for for PFD cuts. And so, and so, you know, we have that mistrust and that's why we don't want revenues to go first. Um, on the other side, they don't want PFD cuts to go first because they're concerned that once, you know, uh, or PFD protection to go first, they're concerned that once PFD, uh, PFDs are protected, that people won't vote for the, won't vote for the revenue side. So it's, it, it's got to move together. It's, it's complicated. It, it's tricky. Yes. There may be pieces that come that, uh, that, that, are in jeopardy as it as it moves through that way. But Ben was clear: if it's not an overall package, you don't. He's not going to vote for it. And I am sure that that there's enough there's enough votes out there that feel the same way that that, that they would they'd be able to stop it as well. So um, it's got it's got to move together uh, because of the mutual mistrust that exists on both sides. Gary uh says uh sales tax is the only fair tax out there which i think you would disagree with but he says everyone pays the same for a gallon of milk or a stick of lumber however the spending cut is first and foremost solution which is kind of a synopsis of what i hear from a lot of people the problem is you can't you can't move we've been trying cuts we've been trying cuts first for years we've been trying to get it we've been trying to get the right people in the legislature for years and even when they have the opportunity they falter they just it just doesn't come about. There's just not the political will to get it done. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it other than we can all live in a you know theoretical what if. But unless we can get it done and unless we change because we've been trying for years to do that. And unless we change our plan of attack, nothing is going to change. Continuing to believe in spending cuts only and continuing to hold your breath for spending cuts only is is the surest way to have continued pfd cuts i mean I, I wrote a column once that said you know that 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 there's some trick being played on alaska's the, the top 20 percent are feeding the the spending cuts only crowd because that is the way that ensures pfd cuts uh continue spending will continue i mean ben was exactly right about that spending will continue we're not going to get spending back under control but if you hold your breath and say spending cuts only then, then that just uh, that just enables the legislature year after year after year to continue using PFD cuts to fund it because there's there's no other revenues out there to do it. So it's 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 um, yeah we could all live in this dream world where our solution was the one that everybody else you know adopted immediately and 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 fell down in praise of and, right and, and went forward. But it's not happening. No. And 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 I think Ben has become. I mean, Ben went down there as one of the biggest firebrands, but I think he's become realistic and become a leader as a result of that. Understanding the process and understanding what it's going to take to get to get right. a complete package. I mean, if we sent uh, ten Ben Carpenters and ten Mike Showers and ten Kevin McCabe's and ten, you know, and you had ten, ten, and ten of all these people, if you sent down thirty or five or forty people that believe this, they could probably get it to happen. The problem is. We don't control that. I mean, the folks in the Matsu, the folks in, you know, these conservative areas don't control that. It's the people in their local districts, and that's why we keep getting what we've got. All right, we got to get back to it. Here we go. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. It is the weekly top three. We're on to number two, which is talking about this upcoming marathon session that the House is going to have as they go over this budget process. Brad, uh, your thoughts on what's coming up? Well, originally when I wrote this as a as a uh, uh, an issue for uh, to talk about, uh, I was anticipating that the House wouldn't have gotten to the major votes yet, that they would have started into some work on the budget, but wouldn't have gotten to the major votes. What, what happened yesterday was they went immediately to the major votes, uh, the vote on education uh, funding and the vote on uh, on the PFD. And, and those two votes have occurred. Now, you know, you can always have additional amendments down the road and, and change the process. And we still have the Senate to go. But we had we had a couple of major votes yesterday. One was to uh, adopt uh, as a as a one time funding mechanism uh, an additional increase an, an increase in the BSA that was consistent with the the, the bill that passed uh, uh, House Education and is pending before House Finance now to fund the BSA BSA increases on a long term basis. But a one time funding increase in the BSA I think it's about 170 million dollars. Uh, uh, added to the budget that got voted on yesterday, taken care of. Uh, it's out of the way. The budget has been increased by that amount on a one-time basis. They're still going to debate uh, the bill and 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 making that a permanent change, but that got taken care of yesterday. The second thing that got taken care of yesterday was the PFD, um, and there was a there was a proposal on the floor. Andy Story uh, from Juno made the proposal to cut the PFD from. POMV 5050, about $2,700, I think it is, uh, down to $1,300. Burt Stedman's $1,300, essentially to adopt on the on the House side uh, the 2575 POMV 2575 that has been, you know, people have been talking about on the on the Senate side, and that got defeated surprisingly to me strongly. It got defeated 12 uh, to 28. 12 in favor of, of cutting it to 1,328 against. And the vote, uh, I think, uh, is, is, is very telling. You had uh, people like uh, uh, Genevieve Mina, uh, who is progressive in a lot of areas, new, new representative from uh, Anchorage, right. progressive in a lot of areas, voting uh, against the amendment, voting for the POMV 5050. Uh, uh, Donna Mears, uh, who is the the, the representative uh, from the swing district that Lance uh, Pruitt used to represent, voting against uh, an additional PFD cut, voting for POMV 5050. Um, you had Will Stapp and uh, uh, Jesse Sumner uh, voting for POMV 5050. And I was a little surprised, frankly, uh, at that, Jason Ruffridge voting for uh, POMV 5050. So there were there were some surprising. Uh, Andrew Gray was another well, Andrew Gray and Cliff Grow, both of them voted yeah. for it. So I mean, it's surprisingly bipartisan at that point. So I, so I, I think, and and part of that, Michael, as I said in the first segment, I think there's been some recognition that uh, as bad as uh, as as sales taxes are, PM P, uh, PFD cuts are worse, uh, and it's motivating some people to be defenders of, P, of the PFD, and frankly, I think moving them toward understanding that that there are some revenue options out there that while they may find them unpalatable in the, in the, in the theoretically that from a relative standpoint, relative to PFD cuts, they're better. Uh, Andrew Gray's one of those. And I, and I was encouraged, frankly, to see 
uh, his vote uh, for POMV 50-50. Now, as I say, we're a long way from, from completion on this. We have the rest of the, of the House budget. They can always circle back on this. Uh, we have or the House floor consideration of the budget. They can always circle back on this. Uh, and we have uh, uh, we have the Senate to go, but I thought it was a I thought it was an encouraging vote. One other one other thing that just irritated me no end. I mean, I think I threw a pin across the across the the room as I was listening to this. Calvin Schrage, <laughs> um, uh, uh complaining that saying that he just couldn't vote for an unbalanced budget, and and that was the reason he was supporting PFD cuts to get. To get uh, to get uh, the PFD and the uh, to to get the budget balance. Well, this is Shreggy who voted for imbalanced budgets before increased spending uh, that that has imbalanced the budgets. And it's Shreggy who who you know talks a lot about oh we got to worry about uh, lower income Alaska families. We got to worry about you know government taking care of these lower income families, middle and lower income Alaska families. I'm there. Shreggy says I'm there for working Alaska families. And then he votes for PFD cuts. I mean, so I. The the hypocrisy of the of the progressives and and the twelve. When you look at who the twelve are, I mean that's the progressive wing of the Alaska legislature. The hypocrisy of the pro- progressives saying we've got to look out for middle and lower income Alaska families, and then voting for the thing that hurts the revenue mechanism that hurts Alaska middle and lower income Alaska families worse. The hypocrisy of that is just just you know startling. I mean I I. I, I didn't. I don't think. I, I don't think I would ever expect them to vote uh, uh, for uh, the POM or for a, for a higher PFD when you know they can spend that money instead on government. But the hypocrisy of saying they're doing it to you know protect government and government's <clears throat> protection of working Alaska families and then voting for the revenue mechanism that hurts the worst is just. Yeah, just, just well, shocking. and there was some stuff that came out like that, Shreggy. I also like Hannon's. I mean, what she proposed this thirteen hundred dollar PFD. She goes on and on and about how you know we shouldn't be deficit spending. I mean, of course, this has all been happening for the last twelve years, right? All this deficit spending, like all of a sudden it's a bad thing to deficit spend. And then she comes out and says at the end, she says, "Free rides die hard," and I'm like, "Free ride." What you know? Again, categorizing our share of the PFD after they got all the monies and all the other stuff, and they've drawn all this other stuff. That's a free. This goes right back to that point where I said they're going to spend the whole PFD and then look you in the eye and go, "You're not paying your fair share." That's the free rides argument right there, right? I mean, and you know who's you know you know who's getting the free the the, the thing that irritates me about that a lot. And she's from Juno, so you know you sort of got to understand the context of this. But who's really getting the free ride? The top twenty percent. We're spending more and more and more and more. And and what what PFD cuts really do is insulate the top twenty percent from having to pay taxes to pay for that increased spending. There, she's what the, what she's proposing is just to shift the free ride. If you if you if you think about PFD, if you want to think about permanent fund earning dollars as free money, shifting the free ride from middle and lower income Alaska families from eighty percent of Alaska families. Shifting that free ride, not not taking it away, but shifting it from them to the top twenty percent. That's, I mean, that's what's going on. And 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 she says that with a straight face, right? I mean, we're gonna end. We ought, we need to end the free ride. We need to we need to stop. Well, no. What you want, what you're proposing to do, is shift the free ride from middle and lower income Alaska families. If if permanent fund earnings are free dollars. You're proposing to shift the the free ride from middle and lower income Alaska families over to the top 20% by continuing to insulate them 
from having to pay for the increased cost of government. It's, yeah. it, it's just, I mean, the, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of those 12 that voted for continued PFD cuts and the justifications they gave for it is just, is just startling. And, you know, and, but, but that's, I mean, that's 12, that's 12 people in the legislature, 12 of 40. So when somebody says, oh, we can just do spending cuts only. I mean, look at, you got 12 right there. <laughs> okay. We're, we're just never, ever, ever going to do that. Fight against it tooth and nail. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to number three, which is what advice, how should the legislature react to the latest oil price surge? Um, and again, my thought would be immediately to say, let's not go on another binge spree, spending spree. Uh, but Brad, what do you say? What, how should they react to the new oil price surge that's coming and expected to increase? Ignore it. I mean, I, I, the, 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 the best advice is if it happens, okay. Uh, it'll put more money in the, in the, in the CBR. Finally, finally put some money back in the CBR, uh, finally start paying back the, you know, the 12 billion loan that we have out, out of the CBR. Uh, if it doesn't happen, which is much, the, if it doesn't, if it's not sustainable, which is the, the more likely case, uh, we won't have spent any time, wasted any time worrying about, you know, what impact it could have. Now, you know, there, there are those commentators out there who are already saying, oh, well, you know, the, the efforts behind the fiscal plan are over. We don't have to, we don't have, there, there's not going to be an effort to, to get a fiscal plan done. Because of the oil price increase, everybody will you know sing happy days again, and we'll say that we're, and we'll claim that we're off the hook again. That's not going to happen. Oil prices go up, oil prices go down. We've seen that, um, and and we need to ignore what may be, in fact, a very temporary blip uh, in oil prices as a result of the Saudi actions. I mean, the 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 world is not moving into as deep a recession as initially feared last year. Energy prices have softened in part because weather in Europe was more was more mild. And so they didn't feel the impact of, of cut off of Russian supplies as much as they otherwise might. There's no guarantee that continues. Uh, but but the world is moving into into a less solid economic time. The Chinese don't want oil prices to rise. I mean, the Chinese are net importers of, of oil, net users of oil. They don't want uh, uh, an increase in prices any more than anybody else. And they have the ability to push back on that as well. They're one of the big purchasers of oil, both from Russia and from, and from Saudi. So they have the ability to, I mean, they have a lot of strategic reserves they can call on. Uh, they can push back on price. So it's not, we, we shouldn't, there should not be a loss of focus on getting a fiscal plan done simply because we have a, a, a small price blip going on uh, in oil currently current oil currently as i right. say if it if it does exist if it does persist then the additional revenues will go into the cbr and and that's good uh, uh it's more likely it doesn't persist and we just need to continue on down the road that we've that we've already started on recognizing that we have to get our fiscal house in order I find it interesting. Again, it it's always likens that whole thing on Pirates of the Caribbean where they're running from one side of the ship to the other. Uh, you know, oh, it's a deficit, deficit. Oh, surplus, surplus. Oh, deficit, deficit. That just seems to be the the constant problem here. Brad, final thoughts. Less than sixty. Give me what you thought. Uh, we need to support Ben Carpenter uh, as a as a as a conservative group. We need to support Ben Carpenter in the discussion he started, um, and uh, and continue to press forward on on having a resolution of, of all of the fiscal issues at once. Ben's done a great job. We need to be supportive of that. 
Uh, I would not disagree with that. I think that uh, his yeoman's effort here to try and bring all these pieces together at one time is something that, like I said earlier, I haven't seen in all the years that I've covered the legislature. And it's finally the first time that we've seen a long-term fiscal plan be proposed uh, and actually have a chance of going anywhere. We just need to get enough support behind him to make it happen. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Yep, appreciate you coming coming in and doing this. Folks, we got more coming up. Our two dead ahead, including Chris Story. Yeah, so for those of you who haven't heard me use that analogy before, remember the Pirates of the Caribbean where they're trying to flip the ship over and they're running from one side of the ship to the other to try and rock the ship and roll it over? I mean, that's what I feel like the legislature does all the time is that's you know they they oh we're we're in a deficit it's crisis 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 and then all of a sudden we're flush with money because oil changes again and now it's like oh how much money we got more money than we could spend and then pull back to crisis i mean it's just it's the same thing over and over and nobody is paying attention to it we do we do this to ourselves uh, I, when you look at our fiscal policy we we use averages averages over time to determine uh, the the percent of market value draw, uh, it's the five year average uh, is the is the basis for the calculation of the percent of market value draw. Uh, we use uh, the same a different five year average, but nonetheless a five year average to determine the PFD, the amount of the PFD, another important uh, characteristic of Alaska fiscal policy. But when it comes to oil, when, but when it comes to oil revenues, which are the most volatile, the, the, the bounce around the most, much more than POMV amounts, much more than uh, uh, PFD, even than PFD amounts, oil revenues are the most volatile. We not only don't use an average, we use a project, we don't, we don't use even the last year's price, we use a projected price. That's uh, pie in the sky, what, right? That's pie yeah. in the sky. I mean, I remember, again, Sean Parnell building a budget predicated on a $115 a barrel for, for oil when it hadn't been $115 for like two months already. And in fact, it was like down to like $85 at the time that he actually presented his budget. And you're like, wait, you just predicated this thing on, it's pie in the sky. That's what I said. Number four of the tar charter of changes is changing the funding for the budget. We need to look at a five-year rolling average of what we've received as revenues or some kind of mechanism that would smooth this out. So we're not creating budgets that are based on nothing but 100% pure New York Times seller fiction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I wrote a column a few weeks ago that, that talked about you know using a 10-year average and, and smoothing that with sideboards that it couldn't go up any more than a certain amount uh, from year to year or down a certain amount from year to year um, and, and, and truly developing a, a savings mechanism that, that ran the surpluses in and then used the surpluses in the years that, that oil prices were down. Like we do, uh, essentially like we do with the POMV and with the PFD. In those two mechanisms, we've recognized that, we, that, we, that predictions are not the way to to determine revenues or not the way to determine you know, how to how to how to fund those or how to how to calculate those. But with our most volatile revenue source, we continue to use this prediction mechanism. So it, if anything, if anything in this time of oil prices starting to bounce up, bounce around, we ought to at least use an averaging method consistent with the method we use for the POMB 
uh, and the PFD to determine what what oil prices are. We shouldn't just run, you know, like a dog with a bone, run to the latest oil price and say that's going to be that's going to be the target, and we can and we can base our budget on that. We need to have a much more solid, reliable, consistent, steady uh, revenue source. I mean, that's what's I, we've talked about this on the program before, but that's what's gotten us into this trouble. We have years where oil prices roll up. We develop a bunch of we develop a bunch of programs around that. We say this is you know this is this is what we think is a state how we ought to be uh, be creating a state government and then oil prices roll roll down. But we've created all these programs, we've created all these expectations, we've created all these constituencies uh, that that are then government funded constituencies that have the money to go down to Juno to lobby for a continuation of it. We've created all these constituencies to continue to continue spending. If we would have had a, 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 a stable revenue through all of the stable oil revenue through all this by using the an averaging method like we use for POMB and PFD, we wouldn't have had those 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 surplus spikes that then created right. all those programs that then have pushed us into these problems. Every time I look at this, I think of, uh, you know, I, I, for most of my adult life, I've been uh, I've been in sales and sales is a variable industry. You get paid on a certain commission and some years are great and some years are not. And I keep thinking that this is like, you know, you had two or three great years, you know, maybe early on in your career, like really high years. And you build a lifestyle around that. And then the market tanks or your industry changes or something goes wrong. And all of a sudden you're living on two thirds of what you were making before. But you've built this whole lifestyle up around it and you just can't cut it. You just can't see yourself. That's exactly what's happened. They've built a lifestyle up around you know, the highest three years of their income, and they can't figure out why they're having problems for the rest of the time because they're not making nearly the same amount of money. That's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and running to the other side of the ship and saying, oh, oil's going to save us again. You know, oil prices are up. We don't have to worry about a fiscal plan. I mean, that's just going to, that's just going to perpetuate it, right? Because we're going to, we're going to sustain all these programs, maintain all these programs uh, that, that then when the, price drops out of oil, the, the, the bottom drops out of oil that we're then going to have run into the same problems. Ben has us on a track as chair of ways and means. Ben has us on a track and the majority has us on a track to find a, a fix to this, a permanent solution to this. And probably part of that ought to be addressing how we do oil revenues as well. But Ben has us on a track to, to find a fix to this. We need to stay on that track. Uh, and he's, you know, we... He, he's taken the slings of and arrows of talking about revenues being part of it because realistic it ha realistically it has to be part of that. We need to just keep going down that track and 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 find find a permanent fix to this problem or else or else he was he was right yesterday. The PFD just is just going to continue to wither and wither and wither away until it's gone. Yeah, and then it'll be gone, and then they'll look you in the eye and say, "You freeloaders, you need to pay your fair share." That's what they'll say. Yep. It's yep. Uh, it's frightening stuff. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Appreciate you being part of it today. All right, folks, we are out of time. We got to go. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and welcome to hour two of the big radio broadcast. We just finished up with Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, who brought us the weekly top three. Some very interesting discussions. Um, and yes, some of the same discussions that we've continued to have on this program for 20 plus years. And, uh, maybe some are finally getting it. I don't know. I I just know that I can't not fight what's happening right now in Juno and what's been happening in Juno for years, for years it's been going on and it is just, it's so frustrating. And as I was just saying, um, look, it's uh, the the whole idea that somehow the legislature, that we are going to be saved, saved, I tell you, by the rebound in oil prices is a fiction. It's a fallacy. Uh, we all remember, well, I mean, for those of you who watched it, we all remember the scene from Pirates of the Caribbean, the second or third one, whenever, when Jack was dead and he was in the afterlife and the ship was upside down or it was right side up or whatever it was. And they needed to flip the boat over. And so they just keep running from one rail to the other, back and forth, port to starboard, port to starboard, trying to rock the boat. And that's what we are doing in this state. You know, we have a bumper crop. Last year we had a bumper crop, right? Uh, high oil prices. Natasha was quoted as saying, we have so much money we don't know what to spend it on. And then we immediately raced to the other side of the boat with this year. Oh, my God, we've got a $400 million deficit plus another $600 million. We've got a billion-dollar deficit over the next two years. We don't know what to do. And this is exactly the same. Remember Murkowski when he was governor and it came in, and now we're going to have to have tire taxes and all these other things because we've come up short. And then just a couple of years later, Palin is paying us all a uh, heating oil subsidy because the state is so flush with money, they don't know what to do with it. They poured millions into the CBR. And then immediately we race back across the ship because Parnell's like, oh, we got to spend. So then we spend $15 billion out of the CBR over the subsequent five years because we just don't have enough money to make it happen. We are racing back and forth across the deck. Uh, acting and just praying, praying that the next oil spike will bring us back to where we need to be with no plan, 
with no just betting on the vagaries of the market and the you know and and hoping that the oil prices because we we built our whole economy our whole budget around this volatile commodity called oil which goes up and down which we have no control over which you know as you see with what happened with the Saudis shuttering in a million barrels a day all of a sudden that could be great or they could flood the market tomorrow which i mean it will go up and down that's what exactly what's going to happen and what are we going to do well we're going to live and die by what happens on that unless unless we figure our crap out and 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 figure out what we're going to do in the long term i'm in a bre- i'm in agreement with brad i mean there should be some when we're figuring budgets in this state there ought to be some kind of averaged metric whether it's 5 years or 10 years or whatever to look at what we've received for revenues and build it based on that like i said it's like being a it's like being an employee somewhere and you get this huge huge bonus cuz the company sold and you were a shareholder and you get this huge bonus this one time bonus <clears throat> and you build your whole lifestyle up around this you know one or two years of good money and then you can't figure out why you're so stressed out for the next 10 years because you're not making, you know, you're only making two thirds of what you were making before. And you're not willing to cut back on your lifestyle. That's where, I mean, that's where we are right now. During times of plenty, we create all these beautiful, uh, you know, great programs that everybody wants and needs and everything else versus what we're, you know, mandated to provide by the Constitution. But we put all these things in there, and then the money drops out again. And now we've got to fund all these things. Or we create these programs that are you know, funded by, well, it's free money. Well, the federal government's going to pay for that. Oh, don't worry about that. The federal government's going to pay for that. Sure, for the first three years, maybe the first five years. Then you've created this huge program that sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And then the Fed says, okay, we're done now. Now it's on you. And we have to pick it up and pay for the whole thing. I mean, who couldn't see that coming? Who who could not see that coming? I still remember having a conversation with the chief of staff of the borough, uh, Fairbanks North Star Borough Mayor's Office, the chief of staff. And he cornered me after a vote on something. And I don't even remember what the vote was. I remembered that it was. Oh, this would be a great thing for the community. This would be, you know, fantastic. And it's all federal dollars, so it doesn't cost us anything. And uh, I voted no. I voted no on it. And he cornered me. He's like, why would you vote no on that? I'm like, well, first of all, it's not free money. It's federal tax dollars, which means that it came from us or other people in some other state, one of the two. And I said, secondly, there's an added cost to this in the long run for ongoing maintenance and all these other things. And who's going to pay for that? Well, you know, the people really want that. Well, the people should vote it up then if that's what they want. If they really, and I don't even, it was, some, I don't know, it was a dog park. God, I don't remember what it was. But all I remember is thing is, if they really want that, they will go ahead and tax. They will come and they will, they will solicit it from us and we will tax the people on their property taxes to do it. I still vote against it because I, I wasn't, but he just looked at me like it's free money. It's not free money. 
Have you not figured that out? That that money comes from somewhere? Maybe it's not from our tax dollars because we take in more federal tax than we provide in this state. We get more tax dollars than we actually put into the public treasury. But somebody in Poughkeepsie has paid taxes and is now funding some dog park or astroturf field or so I don't know, something. Which I'm sure in and of itself is a great thing if you want to pay for it. And even if we were getting gobs of money, gobs of money from oil and and uh, tourism and, you know, carbon offsets and whatever it is that we're, even if we had gobs of money, the question we continue to need to ask ourselves is, is that a function of government? Should it be a function of government to do X, Y, or Z? Or are we just creating a constituency that we will have to pay for forever? Is that government's job? Now, the problem is... As I've said many times, the problem is, overall, is that we've got a group of people out there, God love them, God love them, who believe that the only way society can move forward is with the direct, benevolent intervention of government. We couldn't possibly do it by ourselves. We'd need government there to just take it. And we've sent all our kids to school for the last 50 years. And that, of course, has been the mantra in schools is that we should look to government for those solutions. We shouldn't we shouldn't find them for ourselves. We should look to government should be the solution for these things. And we've raised a whole generation or two of people who now soundly believe that all these solutions, all these all these problems that we have, some of them, by the way, created by the government, that the solutions for all these problems should come from the government. And these people believe that. And so then they go get a government job because they believe that they're help. They want to be part of that esprit de corps. They want to do that. And here we are. And here we are. Spending $15,000 for every man, woman, and child in this state on government. Just look around you. Look around your household. How many people are in your house? How many people are in your household? Two? Three? Four? I mean, if your mom and dad with the 2.1 average kids or whatever it is, that's four people in your house. That means that the government is spending nearly $60,000 a year. $60,000 a year for your household. What are you getting for that? What? What? What are you getting for 60000 And even if there's only one person in your household and you're living on a fixed income, 15000 14300 and whatever it is, for almost 15000 bucks. What are you getting for your $15,000? I mean, this is basic math. You cannot continue to spend more than you take in and expect that it's going to all end swimmingly. You just, you cannot do it. 
But these no-necks go down to Juno and they're like, well, we need the kids and the thing and the pay raises and pensions and we need to do that. I mean, how tone deaf do you have to be when the state's still in a recession, still recovering from COVID? We have deficit spending and you accept a 67 percent pay increase. Not only do you accept it, you actively try to block some legislators attempt to stop the pay raise until next year. Well, is it because you've been in the legislature for 20 years and you've been vested in the system and you're looking for those top three years of pay so that you can fluff out your own retirement? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Did I, did I say that out loud? What are you getting for all this government spend? Well, it's not you, Michael. It's the people who need it. You know, it's the people who are down there, the, you know, the thing in the. OK, great. But 15, 60, 000, I mean, I got six people living in my house. So it's $90,000 a year that they spend on my behalf in government. $90,000 a year. What am I getting for that? <laughs> and yes, even if we took, because Harold's going on and on about all the oil, the oil thing, even if we took in an extra five or six or seven or 800 million or a billion dollars in revenue, what would they do? They'd spend it all. They'd spend it all. They'd spend every dollar of it. Why? Because it's become a habit. Because that's all they can do. They get down there. They get in their little bubble in Juneau. They got people coming through their day six, seven, eight, nine times a day telling them a sob story about how they need the money for this very, very just program, which I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's a very, I'm sure it's important. The question is, is it government's responsibility to do that? Yeah, we get walking trails. We get an 800-mile walking trail. That's what we get for our $90,000 a year. All right. Well, uh, we're up against the break. Chris Story is about to join us, and hopefully he'll pull us back on track. My blood pressure's fine. I mean, again, I've been doing this for 20 years, folks. I've been talking about this kind of BS for 20 years. That's... That... That just BS. That's what we're doing. All right, uh, we got more. Chris Story's up next, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. What is that? Common Sense, regularly heard on American radio. My blood pressure's fine. Um I I mean I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. Um It doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings in the least. Let's just put it that way. Let's just put it that way. See if we can get Chris Story on the line here. Hey, look at that. I actually got a phone. I actually got a dial tone. 
Good morning, Michael. Hello, sir. How are you doing this morning? Doing well, doing well. Did you just do a blood che- uh, blood pressure check or something? Is that I yeah, just did a blood pressure check. Yep, I got a little. Uh, you know, it's uh... they make they make a temporary tattoo now that will allow you to monitor your own blood pressure. I thought that was pretty cool. Really, like a temporary tattoo, mm-hmm. you put it on your skin, and it tells you mm-hmm. what your blood pressure is. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of fun to watch you during the show because it lasts. 300 minutes so we could you could put it on the beginning of the show and just watch it like turn red and then you know kind of have it just escalate and then when i come on it just goes down into the green or uh, yellow whatever the mellow the mellow know, yellow sort of it goes down into the mellow into yellow. A warm bath mm-hmm. <laughs> did you did you prefer yellow mellow to mountain dew uh no you know what i only have had mellow yellow a couple times in my life um it was not when i was growing up it was not readily available um, uh, I forget you grew up in Fairbanks and so you guys probably, uh, I got, I hope your parents didn't put Husky urine in a bottle and call it mellow yellow for you. No, that, that would be sad, but that was how Fairbanks people operate. No, that was the doggy do that was, uh, which is a whole different thing. The doggy do, uh, no, but in uh, the South, in the South, mellow yellow is very popular. We'd go to Florida every year and mellow yellow was the thing. Mountain Dew. No, no. Mellow yellow. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. Uh, I did like me some. Uh, I haven't had Mountain Dew in years, uh, but I did like it. I used good. I used to drink it quite a bit. It was uh, well, not quite a bit because I've never been a huge fan of soda. But when I go to a restaurant, I definitely drink it or something like that. But oh, anyway, yes, uh, I have had Mellow Yellow, which is very similar. It's like Coke and Pepsi, right? I mean, it's super similar. Mm-hmm. It's like Sprite and Seven Up. They taste slightly different, but you know, they're almost interchangeable. Um, you know, if you can't, uh, if you can't innovate, you imitate. So whoever did what first, um, you know, do the do is, uh, is great. Mellow yellow is great. Although I, I had to question their whole idea behind naming the thing mellow yellow, especially when there was always those little signs in the bathrooms, you know, especially if older houses and homesteads where you didn't want to use the water all the time when it was like, when it's mellow, let it, when it's yellow, let it mellow, when it's brown, flush it down mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, anyway, I just thought, I smell chicken and egg. I don't know which came first. You still don't know. Still don't know. Um, all right. Well, uh, what are we going to cover today? Mr. Mr. Story. What are we going to cover today? How to find, how to find the deal of the decade, how to find the deal of the decade. Okay. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. We'll, uh, we'll get to that here in just a uh, hot second then. So I'm going to, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. Don't go anywhere. We're going to get it down. Let me go back up here. How's your blood pressure? Blood pressure's fine. I'm, you know, yeah, I, it's one of those things where, you know, I can get, I can get worked up about something, but I don't have bad. In fact, my blood pressure is extraordinarily low, uh, and always has been, uh, so surprisingly so. My wife's like, well, my blood pressure's high and your blood pressure's low. Hopefully my kids come out with a blood pressure that's somewhere in the middle. I mean, yeah, I we'll we'll figure we'll figure it out. All right. Well, we got uh, Chris Story who's about to join us here, and uh, we're going to be talking with him about um, well, all the good, all the good stuff. Um, how to find the deal of the century? I don't know exactly what the deal of the century is, but I'm all about that. So let's uh, let's uh, let's get Chris uh, going on here, and uh, we'll be ready to go. We're about thirty seconds out right now, and we'll be uh, joined by him here in just a second. Uh, please like and share this video. Like and share the show, 
And we'll see. uh, Tim says, you brought up my blood pressure. Well, I mean, you know, there are things you can control and things that you can't control. All I can do is try and bring them to the forefront and hopefully somebody can come up with a solution or together we can make it work. That's where you go. Let's get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Let's do it. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yes, public enemy. Well, wait a minute. That's, is that right? That's right. Okay. Uh, Public enemy number one. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, hour two continues. We bring on. Everybody's worried about my blood pressure in the chat room for some reason. I don't know why. I'm not. I'm not upset now. I mean, I just was very passionate about it. When I get upset, you'll know because I get a little shouty. Uh, that was just being passionate, talking about somebody who's passionate, passionate about uh, making uh, you know making people better, making their lives better. It is Chris Story, the guru of positivity. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me back. Um, today, you're going to tell us to you're going to tell us on how to find or pay attention to or look out for the deal of the century, uh, the best deals in life. What, what? Give me give me some rundown here. What are you talking about? Well, leave it to you to make it bigger than what I had in mind. You're well, just yeah. a, you uh-huh. are. This is your show. I, I I'm was a salesman. Deal of the decade. I'm a salesman, mm-hmm. right? I was, you know, decade, deal of the year, deal of the decade, deal of the, it's the right. whatever. Deal, deal of the century. Deal of the century. It's the deal of the century. Tell me how we can find the deal of the decade slash century. Well, first of all, I would like you to accept this premise that the deal of the decade comes around about once a week. And once you've accepted that and you, you take that on, you take that premise on its face and you just lodge it into your mind as is it's a fact once you accepted that then you can move into step two which is to actually understand that deals aren't found they're made you don't just stumble usually you don't stumble upon a deal and as tony robbins talks about success he says rarely does success interrupt you i say the same thing about deal in a decade rarely is a great deal going to interrupt you when you're otherwise doing something else. Now, every now and then, you're going to just stumble upon something and go, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I'm going to invest in this. This is amazing. But I'm, I'm positing the idea here that you have to be on the lookout all the time. You have to keep your eyes wide open and you have to be ready to take action and understand your market. So those things combined, first of all, accepting, yes, there are deals made every single week. Uh, and you might look at it later and go, man, that was the deal of the decade. Well, you could have made it if you'd been looking and, and understanding that deals are, are not just, as they say, stumbled upon. It reminds me of a friend of mine. This friend was the luckiest person I'd ever known. One day I came into the office and he had this full-size inflatable kayak on the, the uh, filing cabinets. I'm like, what? where did this come from? He said, I want it. I just won it yesterday. I'm like, man, I never win anything. And then it dawned on me, I never enter any of the drawings 
the raffles, <laughs> all the things. He was constantly entering, right, right. and I wasn't, and I don't. And, and I, this looked like he was so lucky. It's the same with deals of the decade. It's the same with your friends who uh, just invested in a fourplex you didn't even know was available. And if you had known it was available, you might not have known it was a good deal. You might not have known what the rental market was. You may not have known what the whole real estate market around you is. So I suggest that you become aware that the deal of the decade does come around once a week and it's made, not found, and then put on glasses. And once you accept these things, it's a little bit like in the movie National Treasure where Nicolas Cage's character put on the Ben Franklin glasses and suddenly he could see the world differently. Suddenly he could see the hidden map, the hidden treasure map. And that's the same here, that there is treasure in your own backyard. It's all around you. But once you put these glasses on, that's when you begin to see it. And it comes to life and it comes out 3D right at you. And then you can partake. We've talked about this before. I mean, it was the old axiom that, you know, opportunity knocks. Uh, but you got to be standing by the door. You can't be in the lazy boy across the room, you know, or upstairs asleep in bed. When opportunity knocks, you got to be you got to be there at the door to open it. You got to recognize it, and that's the thing we've talked about with getting your mind right. Sometimes you don't even recognize opportunities that are right there, and only in hindsight, like you said, only in hindsight. I, I told the story about the Bitcoin thing, you know, where my buddy uh, came on the show to talk about Bitcoin when it first came out, and he transferred me a you know, $3 in Bitcoin or something uh, over that we we did the thing on the air where he g- gave me the app and everything. And later on, I was like, boy, I should put some money in that. And his $3 in Bitcoin later on was like 400 and something bucks. And I'm like, man, if I had just dropped a little bit of money, if only I'd seen it, if only I had seen the opportunity. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing. You've got to be aware. You've got to be looking. Yes. Agreed. Now, step one is to, to, to be aware that it the deals are made. Then step two, as you just said, is to look and keep your eyes open. And I think the other part of it is understanding you may not be ready to enter the market right now. Like going to your Bitcoin analogy, maybe Bitcoin isn't for you right now, but if you're not watching the market, you're not knowing the ups, the downs, the ins and the outs, you don't even know what a wallet is. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about for Bitcoin. Um, you're you're not going to ever be part of it. Same thing with your real estate market in your own backyard. If you're not under it's uh i think it was malcolm gladwell referred to it in his book uh, outliers like a fingertip feel like you get a fingertip feel for playing an instrument or uh writing a book or, or hosting a radio program like michael dukes or whatever it is that you are spending your ten thousand hours at becoming or doing or mastering you begin to operate sort of almost at a at a mastery level of understanding and that comes first and it's okay if you're maybe you're starting at zero and you, you decided to set a goal of, I'm going to say $10,000 to begin investing. No problem. Still right now, know your market, look around, observe, start talking to people, start paying close, close attention. So when you are ready to pull the trigger, if we can still say that, I don't know if that's triggering for people to say <laughs> pull the trigger, but if you do pull the trigger, you're going to know exactly what you're getting into and you're going to have that fingertip feel and sort of a mastery of your own market. Because watching CNBC, watching the, the major national news, even statewide news, isn't understanding your market. Those things impact your market, but your market is truly in your own backyard and you can become a master in it such that when you hear some news, you hear something coming down the pipeline, you can automatically intuit how that's gonna impact 
your market. But you have to understand the baseline of where you are today in your own market and your own, your own backyard. And it could become a hobby and a pastime and something that then becomes a, a side hustle for you, becomes a, a future fortune. So how do you uh, so how do you keep how do you keep track of that? I mean, how do you how do you put your fingers on the market? I mean, you're obviously talking from your perspective in, in a lot of ways about real estate, but for others, you know, like uh, you know, maybe like me or like somebody else who has a passion or a, a talent for something different, how do we how do we do that? How do we keep our fingers on the market? And and especially since we're probably many of us are not, you know, immersing ourselves in the news every day. What what how do we do that? Well, and, and really news is just a, a one factor of everything. All politics is local. And I'm forgetting which politician started. I mean, that's been sort of a known quantity for the last at least 75, maybe 80 years in politics. All politics is local. Well, all investment is truly local. All of your the economy, everything you've been talking about this morning, you're giving people the levers of control in their own backyard from a political perspective to understand that how we vote, bond initiatives, all these things that we pass or look for, spending, all of that is sort of is controllable right here locally. And you have to be involved. You have to be a bit invested in the outcome to make the decision that you're going to start paying attention to it. And if you start paying attention locally, be it to business, finding a need, as we've said many times, find a need and fill it. This could be at a retail perspective. It could be some service industry, real estate, because I, I, Keep coming back to that because that is the number one place to grow lasting wealth. Um, it, business is great. Starting small business is wonderful. It's the backbone of our economy. However, uh, what's what's truly underneath that and the foundation for most small businesses and the real foundation is their real estate investment as part and parcel of their overall business. But all of that to say, just starting to pay attention and talking to people locally, what's going on. Um, food supplies and, and things like that on a local perspective. You, you could take this analogy across any industry, any sector, whatever it is. I just keep coming back to real estate because I'm passionate about it. That is my, it's my advocation. It's my vocation. It's something that I really, I told you before, I, I really want to help 2000 people in the next 24 months become backyard millionaires because I believe in that uh, even if they're not in my market. So it's not just completely self-serving to my own small business. It's, right. a, it's something that I'm truly passionate about. But it's sort of just waking up and looking around and going, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. You can start paying attention right on your phone through apps like mine uh, or my sites like mine, ilovehomeralaska.com. You can search real estate across the entire state through that one website. Pay attention to what gets listed. Oh, I noticed that just went pending. Hmm, interesting. Oh, that sold in just a matter of days. Right. I didn't think it was going to go for that much. That's the kind of thing you can begin to educate yourself on really quickly. Um, and then just you begin to get a feel for it and understand what's happening. And then you can make your decision as you move forward in finding that deal of the decade. But again, it, it could be this could be applied to anything you're interested in is Decide, first of all, this is something you want to do or become or have, and then start taking actions. Even if you don't have the money or the resources to start the business, make the investment, whatever it is, it comes with the information. Your, your subconscious mind will then go to work 24-7 if you program it correctly. So we have to keep our eyes. We have to we have to be aware of the opportunity. So we're looking for the deal of the decade, right? How to find the deal of the decade. So the first thing is, is to open our eyes to opportunity. Um, which I think in some ways 
also comes back to what you and I talk about a lot, which is basically getting your mind right, figuring out what you want. You know, because if you don't know what you want, if you don't know, if you don't have a destination, you'll wander everywhere. So what's the first steps here in, in figuring out, you know, how to open your eyes for opportunity? I think accepting, and this is very much mindset, accepting that deals are made all around you every single day. I contacted an investor last week. Yeah, it was. It was, in fact, I think seven days ago to this day and said, buy this. And they said, okay. And brought me in earnest. I didn't even question it because they know that I have that fingertip feel. I knew this was an incredible investment. This is for them. This is tailor-made for that particular person because they trusted me. I'm in their tribe. I am their uh, trusted expert. They said, okay. And, and I helped them literally last week, the deal of the decade, helped them make a, an incredible return. Now, they haven't sold it yet, but you know you, you make your money when you buy, and that's what happened last week. It can happen for you once you decide. And this person has decided long ago um, and put me to work for them. And But not just that. I, I'm feeding her uh, information constantly, so she's got that fingertip feel and the trust in me. So all it takes is deciding, and then, as you said, opening your eyes to opportunity, and put it, I'd say put it on your, your backyard millionaire goggles. No matter what you're going to aim at, put those goggles on and see the world differently. See the opportunities that are here in your own backyard. We get deaf a little bit to what's happening locally because we're hearing right. so much noise of Ukraine and so much noise of, is the Fed coin? Are we going to have centralized digital currency in America? Is Wait a minute. Did I hear correctly that the uh, Kenyan president is suggesting all of his people to divest themselves of dollars because soon they're going to be, their monetary supply is going to be yen. We are becoming displaced as a currency of the world. All of that is important to know and understand but none of it is going to make or break your long-term wealth if you're ignoring what's happening in your backyard. All that's important. The noise of the world matters, but what you're doing in your backyard locally, be it from a political perspective as you're talking or an investment perspective as I'm talking, none of it's going to matter to you if you're not taking control of the levers with which you have your hands on, which are right here. Uh, one thing before we go, uh, that I think is important, uh, is that is the note that we can't always do it, uh, alone. In fact, you just talked about having a group of people having, you know, your, your expert in this field or that field. I mean, those are all things that are, we can't do it. We have to have people, we have to surround ourselves with people who are experts in fields that we're not, uh, that may be tangential to the things that there is that kind of idea that we have to work with others, right? It's a million dollar word. I love the word tangential. Thank you, Michael, for using it. I'm only here. It was my word of the day on the calendar. What was I going to do? And you're exactly right. And having, you could call it a tribe. You could call it a mastermind. You can call it whatever you want to call it. It's irrelevant. What you do with it is what matters. And you have a network. You have a group of people. I call people, all the time. I have a group of people around the country that I check in with that are in that are real estate brokers like me, but I also talk to people around the state and here locally. I call other brokers. I call business owners. I call uh, politicians around the state. I call my cousin in Florida because I want to know what's happening in Florida because it matters. Um, it's, it's a little bit like reading the tea leaves or, you know, catching the canary in the caves, taking a nap, or is it dying? I want to know the difference. And so I'm constantly on the hunt for information, but also hyper-focused locally. 
Tiffany and I have been making investments in our own backyard for over 20 years, and we keep thinking we're going to look out there, and then, and then we keep coming back, and we're hyper-focused. We know this market inside and out. We know that if we make a deal here, we know exactly what we're doing. And so every now and then, like I say, we, we look out, and then but yeah, let's make the investment here. So being hyper-focused in your own backyard I think is a really good thing. We hear constantly the term scaling or oh, at scale. You know, we want to scale the business and, and the dream of every entrepreneur and business owner and investor is to scale outside where they are. But if you haven't built a foundation on concrete where you are with what you've got, uh, scaling could be your money sailing away and opportunity right. sailing away with it. So just be foundational where you are with what you've got. And as you just said, you know, rely on others, put together a team or a tribe or uh, a mastermind. Uh, people are still from last week, Michael, asking me to send them the millionaire maker, the, the free ebook. Uh, and I, I was just sending it out to three different people yesterday uh, that must have been listening to your podcast later and, and asked me for it. So right. I'd be happy to send that to you. And that's a great thing to apply to any walk of life, real estate investment or otherwise. And I'm happy to send it out again. All right. Well, give your phone number for so folks can text you their email address if they want your if they want your your pamphlet, your booklet, your absolutely your flyer, Not, your handbill. Pamphlet makes me sound like I'm some sort of cult leader. I know, but I'll take it. 907-299-7653. Just text the word millionaire and your email address, and I'll send it to you absolutely free. Six steps to your first four homes. Chris Story, the man from Homer. I appreciate you, my friend. I can't tell you how much uh, getting your mind right. Looking for people who support you, looking for the opportunities is what we need. It's part of the American dream, and I appreciate all you do to help foster that in other people. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. All right, folks, we got more coming up. Our two continues and finalizes. We're going to open up the phone lines, take your call, see what you have to say. That's all up next The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. In the break, final thoughts. Chris Story. I mean, we are talking more about real estate these days than before, but it's still, all the things still apply. Uh, it's just Chris bringing his... Uh, bringing his uh, uh, his life experience into the equation. Um, and, and what, I, many, what many call what? bringing the thunder. Bringing the thunder, Michael. Bringing, you could just say bringing it. Bringing the thunder. That's right. That's, you, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you, you bring the storm, I supply the thunder. That's what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess final thoughts here is, you know, people just wanting to get their lives together. I mean, how many people are, are sick of that road of, you know, Work home, work home, work tavern home, work home, work tavern home, work home, work home. I mean, it's just like they've developed this rut, right? You know, that they, they they can't see over the top of. They've worn such a hard track into it, and they want to do something differently. Uh, what's the first steps for people quickly here? You know, I I think it's, it's all about awareness, and, and it seems like every conversation we have comes back to the same word, mindset. It's how you think. It's why Napoleon... He'll recall his book in 1936, Think and Grow Rich versus Do and Grow Rich or what have you. Because if you don't think correctly, then you won't do what's necessary or you won't do uh, the right things towards whatever aim it is. And having 
having an aim, having something you're aiming at in life is where purpose is derived from. And, uh, you know, on my, my coin that I had developed, it says you were born to live on purpose. And further, I would go and say you were born to live on purpose and with a purpose. And it's not to say that, oh, if you don't find your purpose by age 18, you're going to be a, a, a wonder in generality for the rest of your life. It's really about finding something that you know makes your heart sing. This is just, I know this is for me. I know it. And it could be that way for a little while, and then you can divert into something else. But it's understanding that your mindset is going to direct everything else in your life, how you treat your family, how you treat yourself how you treat your health, your wealth, everything about you starts with how you think. And that's the one thing that we can fundamentally change in an instant. You can become who you want to be in an instant and then train your brain to follow up and the behavior becomes habit, becomes rote, and then becomes something you look forward to. And, and I consider investments incredibly creative. People ask me after I got out of the pottery business as a way of life, I still make pottery, but it wasn't, it's no longer my, my, um, location it's just something i love to do but they said don't you miss that creativity i'm like you know what i think investing is incredibly creative i love putting deals together even for other people i find super creative so you could do it for yourself and have this creative outlet whatever it is i remember talking to a guy a contractor one day he said i have to leave a little early i gotta go plant my potatoes and i said oh you, you do a gardening as well i don't need it but i just never want to forget how to grow a potato and that's, it's sort of a creative outlet for many people is growing their own foodstuffs. And so anyway, it's, it's not all just related to creating millions of dollars worth of wealth. However, I never want somebody to forget that it's available to them. It's right. available to everybody. Well, it's a fulfilling thing, right? I mean, you need fulfillment in your life. And if your job's not doing it or your, you know, things are not happening, you know, again, if you don't know where you're going, you'll basically wander everywhere. So you got to have some kind of you got to have some kind of destination in mind. I think a lot of people, like you said, wandering generalities is a good phrase because people just kind of, I'm doing okay, my job's okay, my family's okay, but I'm just kind of wandering through life because they don't have a goal or an aim. Um, that's a that's an issue. That's a problem because if you don't, you just kind of, and you won't see those opportunities because you're not training your mind to see them. And they're so overwhelmed in this 24-hour news cycle, and there is so much negative news of the world that, yeah, we, might, we need to pay attention. Like I talked about what's happening with our dollar, what's happening with the feds, what's happening in your local, like our, our city of Homer is going to spend $3 million bucks to determine the feasibility of a $280 million harbor expansion. I want us to pay attention to that locally and statewide and figure out, is this a conversation we want to have? Um, but I don't want that to become your entire day. To right. where it just gnaws at you and it becomes your way of and life. No, no, I think we get stuck in that. And participate. Yeah, no, I mm -hmm. think we get stuck in that, especially on the national level. We're so wrapped up about, you know, who's doing who, who's betting who, who's getting arrested, who's doing this, who's stealing from so-and-so, and what's going on in Washington. And we get so wrapped up in it, we, we forget about the stuff that's right around us. We just, you know, especially those things that we can't control. And then we get that's when the blood pressure spikes because we can't control it. We know it should be fixed. And, and we're just so, at, you know, again, <clears throat> go right back to the local what's going on in your own backyard. So I think it's good. Yeah. Speaking of backyard, he's got a book out called The Backyard Millionaire. If you haven't read it or listened to it, you're missing out. It's a good story. Uh, and it's a good uh, it's a parable. I guess I would say it's a good parable. The Backyard Millionaire from Chris Story uh, at ilovehomeralaska.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on Audible. And, of course, don't forget, you can listen to his uh, other works and his podcasts as well. Go to ilovehomeralaska.com. Chris, thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. 
Thank you, Michael. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, you too, my friends. Good to good to be with you every every uh, uh, every uh, Tuesday. That's Tuesday today. Today's Tuesday, right? All right, we're gonna jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Please like and share the show if you haven't. Like and follow the show page. Let's get to it. Here we go. Let's get it done. Thanks for being part of it. All right, uh, one final segment today on the program, and I have decided that we need to open up the phone lines to see what you have to say, because, because, I want to see, uh, I mean, are you concerned about my blood pressure like everybody else is? I don't know why, I just, I mean, I wasn't frothing, was I? Let me wipe my mouth a little bit here. I wasn't frothing at the mouth or anything. I just find it ironic that for 20 years I've been harping on the same things, and they're the same things that we're faced today. And it's the, the problems have only gotten worse. Only gotten worse. And yet uh, we continue to sail down this path. I mean, it's, uh, it's a... <laughs> uh, it, it is frustrating. I mean, it is frustrating. Like I said, I stopped watching the national news for the most part. Um, I do get uh, I do get my daily roundup from Reason and a couple other places on certain topics that I'm interested in, but for the most part, I I have there are zero poos given on what's going on at the national level because I know that we can't fix that necessarily. We can fix our own backyard, and that's what we should be working on right now is fixing our own backyard. Um, and unfortunately that's what I've been trying to focus on. And we're still in the same, we're still in the same uh, basket of pain that we've been in for the last 20 years, only it's gotten worse. So maybe join me in trying to fix what's happening here locally instead of focusing on all this other stuff. Um, all right, well, let's go over to the phones and see what you guys have to say uh, about today's program or anything else that we've got to talk about. Let's jump over here and see what you, you got going on. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning, this is Al from Fairbanks. Hello, Al. What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, I was listening to Mr. Carpenter and your discussion you had on his potential bills. Um, long story short, what I see is in the end, we, we, we still lose the dividend fund or permanent fund because they either take it all at once or they just slowly bleed it by a 2% tax. And realistically, how long do you think 2% would stay at, uh, in the legislature as a tax? Well, I mean, his point is, is that he would not vote for that bill unless they enshrined the PFD and took that revenue off the table, that he was saying that the 2% is a substitute for the PFD. Uh, so he wouldn't vote for it. So the, I hope that that's what would happen. But you're right. If we don't do anything, they'll slowly bleed the PFD down to nothing, and then they'll want to tax us on top of that. And how long would it remain at 2%? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I think that Alaskans would be a lot more engaged if there was a discussion. If we did have a 2% tax and they decided they wanted to raise it to 4 I'm sure there, there would probably be a lot more Alaskans engaged in that than what we're seeing today. 
well, I don't see we have a whole lot of Alaskans engaged, and they want to take the whole PFD. True, true. But remember, uh, especially as you get into the higher incomes and things like that, they're going to see that, well, wait, I got to pay more for what's going on. I mean, that's one of the problems of the sales tax is that it's more regressive. So it's definitely going to hit the folks on the lower end harder. But yeah, I mean, and that's why I would not support and that's what Ben said. He would not support the tax if they do not enshrine and protect the PFD. Because um, you're right. The, the essence of government is to grow. And that's what they want to do. They want to grow government. Um, and that's the nature of it is to grow. So 2%, yeah, would probably end up being something more down the road. All righty. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Appreciate your call. Thanks for calling in this morning. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Thanks to our friends at Satellite West for sponsoring the program today. You can find out about them at SatelliteWest.com. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Johnny. Hi, Johnny. What's on your mind? <laughs> hey, I, I watched some of these uh, de- debates from the city for Anchorage on line, landmine. Yep. And uh, I found it very disappointing that I don't think – one of those candidates even mentioned the word Alaska. I mean, it's like, I don't understand. They they have no responsibility of being Alaska's biggest city. And I don't know. It just kind of just keeps that refrain, lost anchorage is great because it's only an hour away from Alaska. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in all fairness to those people, they're talking about a debate in the city. I don't know if they uh, if they're looking at Anchorage's place in all of Alaska. So in fairness, uh, you know, I, I guess that's they're focusing on what they should focus on, which is the city of Anchorage. But I mean, it is true that sometimes I think that there is a bit of a disconnect from what's happening there. Uh, but as I've often said, as goes Anchorage, so goes the rest of the state eventually. So we should be paying attention at least a little bit to what's going on there as well, because otherwise, I mean, we could see that bleeding into other parts of the state. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to work on AI and reanimate Jay Hammond and <laughs> run the state like I used to be. Yeah, maybe we should see if we can get that resurrection spell to work, huh? Is that what you're trying to do? We're trying to raise the dead and bring Hammond back. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right, Johnny. Well, thank you for your call. I I appreciate you calling in today and being part of the show. Uh, 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off, we'd love to hear uh, from you this morning uh, about any of the topics that we've uh, taken on this morning. Uh, Hammond, it would be interesting to see if you had a conversation with Hammond today, if he was around what he would say. I mean, I, I think that he would go back to his whole point of when they remove the income tax, he would say, see, I told you you should have left it on the books at 0%. You should have just left left it there because that's how he envisioned getting Alaskans engaged. Now, others will talk about California and other things where they have an income tax uh, and uh, they're not they're not winning much over there right now. But at the same time, it would definitely uh, put the crosshairs on some of the people who are, uh, who are, uh, you know, living off the largesse of government on both sides of the spectrum, both those who are in the social safety net side and those who are in the corktocracy side who are living on government contracts and and uh, payments and things like that. 
Uh, I think Hammond would be very disappointed. Uh, I mean, I just this is my take after reading his books and and uh, you know reading what he's written and the things that he said. I think that he'd be disappointed, but that's just my opinion. You know, just my opinion. Um, and I know Dick Randolph was instrumental in ending the income tax. I'm not criticizing Dick at all. I think Dick did some great work while he was there in the legislature. Um, but, uh, I also understand that what we have now is we have this habit of spending that we just can't get away from. I mean, even the, even the newbies go down there with the stars in their eyes and they end up just after a short period of time being ready to being, being ready to uh, spend all that money. And then some, uh, running out of time here. Uh, let's see, we got, uh, oh, we got, we got, well, we don't have any time. I don't think, we don't think we have any time. We got one call coming in. Nope. All right. Uh, so we're going to be back. Uh, we're going to be back tomorrow. Mike Shower will be joining us on Thursday. Sheldon Meyer comes in to talk us about mining in Alaska. Working on some other guests as well. Hopefully we'll have something a little lighter side. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty Based. Free Thinking Radio. We will see you tomorrow, my friends. Have a great day. Be kind, love one another, live well. Goodbye. Okay. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for today. I appreciate all you coming in and being part of it. Thank you for, uh, thank you for coming in. We will see you guys tomorrow. Smile. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you then. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 